What I have learned over the years is that we must be patient, persistent, and committed. When we are planting trees, sometimes people will say to me, I don't want to plant this tree because it will not grow fast enough. I have to keep reminding them that the trees they are cutting today were not planted by them, but by those who came before. So they must plant trees that will benefit communities in the future. I remind them that like a seedling with sun, good soil, and abundant rain, the roots of our future will bury themselves in the ground and a canopy of hope will reach into the sky. Welcome back to Zoo Notable. Today we celebrate Black History Month with one of my favorite conservation heroines, a person whose influence has shaped ZooFit and my philosophy of being a hummingbird and doing what I can. I'm speaking of Wangari Matai, founder of the Green Belt Movement, winner of the Nobel Peace Prize, and a champion for conservation, women's rights, and social justice. Wangari's memoir titled Unbowed gives us a fantastic inside look at her early life and how she became the strong independent advocate that her country of Kenya and her fellow Kenyans needed. She is honest and direct with her words, something I can really appreciate as a writer, and she's devout and hopeful, something I look up to as a conservationist. She exemplifies why Black History Month is important for everyone. Now, while I think we should be honoring the sacrifice and contributions those of African descent do every single day, dedicating a month to learning about these incredible heroes helps us discover new ideas and uncover truths about ourselves. So for today, let's start digging into this enlightening story of my conservation hero, Wangari Matai, and her book, Unbowed. And big idea number one is understanding others' history gives context about their present. Quote, these experiences of childhood are what mold us and make us who we are. How you translate the life you see, feel, smell, and touch as you grow up, the water you drink, the air you breathe, the food you eat, are what you become. When what you remember disappears, you miss it and search for it. And so it was for me. When I was a child, my surroundings were alive and dynamic and inspiring. Even though I was entering a world where there were books to read and facts to learn, the cultivation of the mind, so to speak, I was still able to enjoy a world where there were no books to read, where children were told living stories about the world around them, and where you cultivated the soil and the Im imagination in equal measure. I have always admired Wangari Matai after hearing the story of the flight of the hummingbird back in 2009, and later when it became a symbol for me and Zufit in 2015. Now, just last year, my admiration grew as I learned more about the Green Belt Movement and Wangari's hard work to promote healthy forests and healthy communities in her home in Kenya. But reading her memoir really opened my eyes so wide that I wondered how I'd ever even seen before. Now, number one, reading about Wangari's early life from childhood to going to school, a pretty big deal for, at that time for a girl in her village to get an education, to continuing her education in the United States during the civil rights movement of the 1960s. It all gave me a new appreciation for this heroine. But more importantly is how I applied this discovery about Wangari. Now, on my first reading, I... I did actually wonder why Wangari spent so much time discussing her childhood 
when this memoir was supposedly about her environmental and social justice advocacy work. But the further I read, the more I saw Wangari's past experiences and her education popping up to support her decisions, to push her forward and to fight for what she believed. I had more context for who Wangari was, not just as a child, but how her childhood and her experiences shaped her into the woman she became. This made me ponder even more. I looked up to Wangari because I learned as much as I could about her life. Who else might I admire if I just take some time to understand their past? Maybe not even admire, but just show compassion and empathy towards. And I'm reminded of Stephen Covey's Seven Habits of Highly Effective People when he was on a subway with some out-of-control con- children and their seemingly ambivalent father. After several minutes of disruptive behavior, Covey finally confronts the father who apologizes and admits he doesn't know how to handle the situation because the children's mother had just died at the hospital. Now, after hearing this, Covey's entire demeanor changed, and I imagine all of our demeanors might change in a similar situation. It's easy to put our heroes on a pedestal and imagine that they just were the way we imagined them to be. But there is a history behind our heroes. And when we learn about that history, it can make our connection with those we admire even stronger. And when we apply this same concept to strangers or those we don't get along with, we can make more positive assumptions and empathize more. We can never know the whole story behind why people do what they do or say what they say until you hear everything in context. Now, our past doesn't define who we are, but it definitely shapes and brings the present image into clearer focus. So for now, think about someone with whom you've had or are having a misunderstanding. Now, how can you take an empathetic approach and see not just where the other person is coming from in the present, but maybe how their past has shaped them to create their present views? And with this in mind, can you show a little bit more admiration and compassion for them today? And big idea number two is you don't need a diploma to make a difference. Quote, with the tree planting taking root, work and expenses increased. Luckily, we were beginning to get support from other institutions. We wanted to plant a tree for every person in Kenya. At that time, a total of 15 million. We even had a slogan, one person, one tree. Chief Forrester on SBS Raburu told me, you can have all the seedlings you like, and you can have them for free. He didn't believe that we would ever exceed his supply of seedlings. However, only a few months later, this is exactly what happened. You have to pay for them, he told me when I asked for more. Although the foresters had been supportive at the beginning, I sensed some professional jealousy creeping in as the women became more efficient at planting trees. Our solution was to create our own supply of trees. Most seedlings in of the seedlings we grew were indigenous. We organized meetings where foresters talked to the women about how to run their own nurseries. But the foresters didn't understand why I was trying to teach rural women how to plant trees. You need a professional, they told me. You need people with diplomas to plant trees. What the foresters were saying didn't seem right to me. You might need a diploma to understand a tree's growth and what the content of the seedling was. But I didn't believe women needed all that technical information the foresters were dispensing to plant trees successfully. All they needed to know was how to put a seedling in the soil 
and help it grow. And that didn't seem too hard. Anybody can dig a hole, put a tree in it, water it, and nurture it. That is from chapter six, Foresters Without Diplomas, and one of my favorite chapters in Wangari's memoir. In this chapter, Wangari speaks of her husband running for parliament and promising jobs during a time of economic hardship. Now, when he is elected, he goes back on his promise, but Wangari did not. She began an organization to help communities find jobs working in gardens. And when that didn't take off the way she had hoped, she just began planting trees and started the Green Belt Movement, which paid communities for trees that were planted and cared for. So first of all, I love how she cared about the promises made. Wangari fought for, to fulfill the promises her husband made on the campaign. And because of this, Kenya became a better country. And second, I just love the sentiment, you don't need a diploma to plant a tree. This reminds me of a slogan of my old association of zookeepers used to advocate involvement. They used to say, you don't have to be a keeper to care. Now, often we, and yes, I'm including myself here. I do this all the time to myself. We think that we don't have the right education or credentials to do a good job at something. I think I made this assumption because I tried and I tried and I tried to get a job in animal care, but I didn't get the position until I finished college and got a degree in animal behavior. Now, despite the fact the job did not require a degree, I just always assumed it was my degree that finally got me the job. Ignore the years of volunteer experience and getting better every time I applied and was rejected. And again, to make it clear, it doesn't always take a degree to get what you want. It does take commitment. It takes perseverance. It does take gumption, but not always a degree, and especially when it comes to the environment. You definitely don't need a diploma to take action against climate change, deforestation, and pollution. You can plant a tree without a diploma. You can pick up trash without an education, and you can learn more ways to make the world a better place without having to go to university or back to school. As Wangari puts it, the future of the planet concerns all of us, and all of us should do what we can to protect it. As I told the foresters and the women, you don't need a diploma to plant a tree. Big idea number three, when life hands you lemons or divorce or other hardships, turn it into an opportunity. Quote, none of us can control every situation we find ourselves in. What we can control is how we react when things turn against us. I have always seen failure as a challenge to pull myself up and keep going. A stumble is only one step in the long path we walk and dwelling on it only postpones the completion of our journey. Every person who has ever achieved anything has been knocked down many times, but all of them picked themselves up and kept going. And that was is, that is what I've always tried to do. So in chapter seven, Wangari shares how she became divorced and a single mother of three while getting the Greenbelt movement off the ground. And what I admire so much about her convictions is that it could be easy for, to make Mwangi, Mwangari's spouse, the bad guy. But Wangari used her knowledge about Mwangi and the society at the time to understand where her ex-husband was coming from. I'm not sure if Wangari immediately saw it this way or if it took many, many years, but I still admire her for not pointing fingers. 
Instead, she recognized that in 1970, society had a different view of men than it did of women, and educated women in particular. As she puts it, there may not be enough space in a relationship for aspirations and beliefs or mutual interests and aims to unfold. For a couple, this is particularly so because so many people marry young and are bound to grow and change in their perceptions and appreciation of life. This is probably what happened to Mwangi and me. The societal attitude towards women shaped Mwangi's view of me. He saw me through the mirror given to him by society rather than through his own eyes. He was the product of the times and felt toward educated women the way most men in Kenya did then. Traditionally, society at the time put more value on boys than on girls. Boys were provided education before girls, and boys were expected to be greater achievers than girls. Therefore, it was an unspoken problem that I, and not my husband, had a PhD and taught in the university. I did, rec I did not recognize the source of our discontent, but looking back, I can see that tensions began early, and they were often precipitated by trivialities. Once again, instead of lashing out, Wangari just, she moves on. She even recognizes that her life would have been very different if she and Mwangi had stayed together. Perhaps the Green Belt Movement and Wangari's passionate advocacy for women and social justice would never have taken off. She says, I sometimes wonder what I would have become if Mwangi had not left me, whether I would have followed the path I have. In some ways, his leaving allowed me to choose to take the the direction I did. If he had stayed, things might have been very different. The path I would have taken would have been ours and not my own. There are opportunities even in the most difficult moments. Every situation has a silver lining. So going back to you, what are some things that aren't going quite right in your life? How can you dust yourself off and get back to it? And how can you find the positives in these situations? Let's take responsibility, recognize what we have control over, that is our response, and turn obstacles into opportunities. Before we continue with our Zoo Notable, I'd like to take a moment to thank our sponsors. I couldn't do these notables without them. So we'll be right back after these messages. Big idea number four, unbowed, rise up and walk. Quote, in 2002, an opportunity arose for me in my country to fulfill a long-held dream, realizing a truly representative democracy. Even though I had unsuccessfully run in 1997, I decided to run for parliament. My slogan was rise up and walk, which was inspired by the story from the Bible when disciples Peter and John came across a beggar who had all the characteristics of a disempowered person, poor, self-effacing, dejected, and no sense of pride in himself. On seeing him in such a dehumanized and humiliated state, Peter said, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. What I wanted the voters to understand was that I could not give them alms or even miracles, but together we could lift ourselves up and address the conditions of our poverty and disempowerment and regain our sense of self-respect. The slogan was the essence of what the Greenbelt movement has been doing for years, rise up and walk. 
And I believe if Wangari is remembered for anything, I, I just hope it's for her perseverance. She had been knocked down time and again with her divorce. She was found at fault and even fined and jailed for her comments about the judge who resided over a case. She was also jailed or arrested several more times for leading, participating, or organizing protests. And one of her protests took place with dozens of other women, mothers whose sons had been wrongfully imprisoned. They were political prisoners, so Wangari and the mothers marched through the streets to an area that would become known as Freedom Corner. However, violence erupted and Wangari was hospitalized. But Wangari would not be scared or intimidated from helping those who needed her voice. As she puts it, the story of Freedom Corner did not end with my hospitalization or the dispersal of the mothers. We remained unbowed. The day after the police attack, many of the women, on their own, returned to Freedom Corner. The mothers expected the vigil to last for a night or two. It lasted a whole year. Now, there are many stories like this throughout the book. Each time, Wangari faced her challenges head on. And when she was kicked down, she always rose up and walked a little further. Now, this is exactly the kind of example I need in my life. If Wangari, who faced jail, attacks, persecution, assassination attempts, robbery, carjackings, corruption, unfairness, and discrimination, if she could keep going, then whatever small struggles that I'm facing that are completely trivial, then I too can rise up and walk as well. As she says, when we rise up together, we help each other through these struggles. That is when miracles really start to take place. And finally, big idea number five, plant a tree. Quote, when we arrived early on the morning of January 8th, we were confronted by 200 armed guards with machetes, clubs, whips, and bows and arrows. They walked towards us and surrounded our group. You can't get into the forest, they said. We're not trying to get into the forest, I replied, trying to keep calm. We just want to plant a tree here. You can't do that, responded the men. I can't leave this place today until I plant a tree. It should come as no surprise that Wangari celebrated momentous occasions, honored loved ones, and defied corruption and violence by simply planting trees. When her mother passed away at the age of 94, Wangari planted a tree to honor protesters killed in what the Kwasahali called Saba Saba, she planted a small grove of trees. She snuck into a forest that had been closed off by police so she could water trees that had been planted. And when Wangari was notified that she was the recipient of the Nobel Peace Prize, she made it to her destination, and someone procured a shovel and a seedling, and Wangari memorialized the event by planting a tree. I love that Wangari used trees to demonstrate her commitment to everything in life. Here's what she loved about trees in her own words. Trees have been an essential part of my life and have provided me with many lessons. Trees are living symbols of peace and hope. A tree has roots in the, the soil, yet reaches to the sky. It tells us that in order to aspire, we need to be grounded, and that no matter how high we go, it is from our roots that we draw sustenance. It is a reminder to all of us who have had success that we cannot forget where we came from. 
It signifies that no matter how powerful we become in government or how many awards we receive, our power and strength and our ability to reach our goals depends on the people, those whose work remains unseen, who are the soil out of which we grow and the shoulders on which we stand. Now, when Gari left this world in 2011, her legacy continues on, though, with the Greenbelt movement working in dozens of countries around Africa and several other continents. Now, Gari is my hero because she reminds me to celebrate my wins the best way I know how, in my own unique way. She reminds me to never give up, to rise up to the challenges and remain unbowed, to see the good in every person in every situation to do what is in my heart, regardless of my education or my background. I do promise to emulate and appreciate Wangari for the rest of my life. I will be a hummingbird. I will rise up and walk. Thank you so much for joining me with this latest Zoo Notables. Let me know what were your thoughts? Which big idea resonated with you? And who are your heroes? How can we emulate those heroes just a little bit more starting today? I'm going to close up with some more words of wisdom by Wangari Matai and her amazing book, Unbowed. She says, when people learn about my work and the work of the Green Belt Movement and ask me, why trees? The truth of the matter is that the question has many answers. The essential one, though, is that I reacted to a set of problems by focusing on what could be done. Wangari tells us, when local people feel invested in the, in the project, they mobilize themselves and their neighbors to take responsibility for sustaining those projects. It is one thing to understand the issues. It is quite another to do something about them but I have always been interested in finding solutions. Wangari tells us when we go through profound experiences, they change us. Failing is not a crime. What is important is that you fail, is if you fail, you have the energy and the will to pull yourself up and keep going. Wangari says, we suggested to communities that they establish tree nurseries. When the seedlings are ready for planting, I told them, invite the other communities and give them seedlings. Tell them, these are trees of peace. We are not interested in conflict. We want to foster peace. And finally, this is the last paragraph in the book, Unbowed. Magari says, as men and women continue this work of clothing this naked earth, we are in the company of many others throughout the world who care deeply for this blue planet. We have nowhere else to go. Those of us who witness the degraded state of the environment and the suffering that comes with it cannot afford to be complacent. We continue to be restless. If we really carry the burden, we are driven to action. We cannot tire or give up. We owe it to the present and future generations of all species to remain unbowed, to rise up and walk. <laughs>